right, so Ben, we are now more than halfway through with following Jesus with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Week four um, has happened, and I think we talked about last episode, it was going to be something about presents and not like Christmas presents, but like <laughs> the other presents. That's right. So tell, tell us a little bit about what happened in week four at following Jesus with anxiety. Yeah, so following Jesus with anxiety is a learning community with a vision, which is to follow Jesus into a life of risk-taking love with or without anxiety. Um, and so again, what it's what we're saying is it's not about changing your thoughts and feelings, but changing the way you relate to your thoughts and feelings. Mm, which is the key thing. It's we're a not key we're thing. not getting rid of what's going on in your heart or mind necessarily, but we're reassessing how you evaluate it. That's exactly right. And so um, a, a, a way to talk about it is if you distilled act or what we're calling active and contemplative training into one word, it would be be. Can you be? Uh, and so w- week one is, can you be the kind of person who lives in light of your values think towards your vision? Uh, week two is, um, can you be with your thoughts and not become your thoughts and not be hooked by your thoughts and taken by your thoughts? Uh, week three was, can you be with whatever bodily sensations, feelings, urges, desires, emotions show up right here and now? And week four, which is about presence, is can you be here now? Mm-hmm. Um, and an example of that is uh, we all know what it's like to to be with somebody who's physically present but uh, psychologically or emotionally absent. Yeah. Um, and you might say the, the lights are on but nobody's home. We have mm-hmm. a saying for that, right? And, uh, and so usually what that means is um, w- we get hooked by our thoughts or by our emotions and pulled either into the past – that would be shame or guilt or uh, some of the ways in which our memories kind of uh, distort uh, the way in which we can't live in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, or we get hooked and we're pulled into the future, and that would be things like anxiety and fear and the ways in which we ruminate on worst-case scenarios and, and essentially can't get out of the fact that um, we are not here now. Yeah. When I can even say that that last one is me for sure. And it's not even necessarily the negative uh, fear-based. It's more like I try to settle the future and plan it out too meticulously mm. ahead of time, mm-hmm. uh, usually un- under the name of optimization or productivity. Mm-hmm. But it means I'm thinking about things like, what am I going to eat for dinner tomorrow night? It's yep. like, I haven't even eaten dinner tonight, and I'm already like curious. Like, well, I could do this, or I could do that. It's like, so I'm trying to figure things out that don't need to be figured out yet. Yeah, that's well said. Well, and for me, it is um, the present is usually more painful than my ideal future. Mm. And so I'm an optimist. So my futures are always bright and sunny and better than where I am right now. And so yeah. it's actually a form of escape because I can imagine a future that's better than the present. And then I can be energized by my anxiety to, pr- to bring that future into being. Mm. Except for the downside is, is let's just say that that future is January, you know, the start of yeah. the new year. When I get to January, guess where I'm living? Not in January, but in the ideal in, future. In where, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. The next quarter. And yeah. and so um, so what I want people to hear me say is uh, thinking about the past is actually one of the most important things you can do to be a human being. Uh, so, uh, one famous educator said, um, it's not experience that that we learn from. It's reflecting on our experience that we learn mm-hmm. from. And so thinking about the past is actually really important to live properly in the present. Um, likewise, planning the future and anticipating the future and imagining the future is actually one of the most important things we can do um, because it's a way in which we prepare ourselves for what's to come. And so don't hear me wrong, being in the past or in the in the future with your mind is actually a really incredible gift. Um, but the question is, is it hindering you from living in the present here and now according to your values 
and in ways that move you towards the vision that really matters to you. Mm-hmm. I think it was helpful that the language you used of hooked, mm-hmm. where it's not just that I'm thinking about the future. It's that I, you know, for me, it's like I've kind of downshifted into really only thinking about the future all of a sudden and That's like right. not really even paying attention to what's going on right now. Like the presence on autopilot while I figure out next week. Or, you know, the, the other version would be the presence on autopilot while you're ruminating on the past. And so yeah. it's the, the, the being stuck forward or backward is what sounds like is problematic. That's exactly right. Yeah. Because what happens, or the, the reality is, and this is going to sound so obvious, um, the only place that you can actually live is right here and now. Mm. So the future is not promised to you. In fact, James actually chastises people for uh, for thinking too much about the future. You know, we'll go to such and such place and do such and such things. And he's like, hey, your life is a mist. Who do you think you are? Mm. In other words, yeah. hey, contemplate the fact that you only have today. Uh, that's the only thing that you have is this moment is the only thing that you have right now. You might not have tomorrow. Um, and, and, and then, you know, if you live in the past, as we say, oftentimes like this so-and-so just lives in the past. I think of, um, remember Napoleon Dynamite where his uncle was like living in the mm-hmm. glory days of being the QB. You should be able to throw that, throw it over that mountain. <laughs> That's there. exactly That's right. Like yeah. we know people that live in the glory days of the past and they don't actually show up here and now for what really matters, where only life can be lived. Mm-hmm. And if I remember Augustine ends the book of his book of confessions with a, with a contemplation on God's, um, eternality and, and essentially what he says is God is eternally present. He is mm-hmm. present to every every time, uh, yeah. and so God is not in the future in the sense of um, like like we imagine the future. He is fully present to the future. Yeah, just like we're called to be fully present to the here and now. Yeah, I've, I think we've talked about this in another episode. I can't remember if it was me and you or if it was one of the book intros, but th- just this idea that um, God doesn't have a past or a future; mm-hmm. He only has a present. Mm. And so, to enter into this practicing the present moment is to enter into the way God's life is. I, it feels weird to say it that way, but just sort of like yeah. God is, a, you know, I think of the quote in uh, John, what is it? 858 mm-hmm. where Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and he says, before Abraham was, mm-hmm. I am. And mm-hmm. he's both I, I, things that I've read, they take it as both a, he's using the old Testament covenantal name of Yahweh, mm-hmm. but he's also making an ontological statement of mm-hmm. Before Abraham even existed, I currently exist mm-hmm. and exist here and now. But it's just this kind of all God experiences all of human history as present rather mm-hmm. than as a succession of moments like we do. Yeah. Either Jesus is really bad at grammar or he's making a profound statement about his being. <laughs> yeah. And the Pharisees pick up on it because they immediately react the way they react. They want to kill him. <laughs> yeah. So, so what does this actually mean in practice? Well, one of the things we did was we looked at Matthew 6, one of the most important texts in the Bible on anxiety. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, do not be anxious. And, and we're going to do a, another episode where you and I unpack that more. Yeah, do like a deep dive on Because I, I think in the, some of the listeners may have had it in the back of their mind of like, well, there's this passage in the Bible that talks about not being anxious and could think of Philippians or some other places. Um, and we're basically saying, well, maybe you're just – this sounds bad, but we're maybe saying you may just be anxious, Mm -hmm. but we're trying to change the way you experience your anxiety rather than eradicate your anxiety. That's exactly right. So how do we deal with that biblical tension? And so I think, yeah, we'll do a deep dive. Yeah. And and one of the things I'd encourage people to do is read Matthew 6, uh, read Matthew 6, 25 through 34, and pay attention to the time signatures, the way that Jesus talks about time. So he says things like, 
do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, right? These are future-oriented realities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he makes comments like, uh, and, and can you, by being anxious, add a single hour to your span of life? In other words, he's talking about this time frame thing. And then, of course, he ends the whole thing by saying, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Mm. If that's not him articulating a, hey, be here and now, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing there. And, and so that's why he really gives three imperatives in this section. The first one is see, see the birds. And he's on a mountain teaching, you know, a hill, grassy mm-hmm. hill, teaching the sermon. There's probably literal birds. And he's saying, yeah. hey, be here now. Look over there. Look at these birds. Yeah. And then the next one is study the lilies. Consider the lilies. Like you're in a grassy field. Like look at these actual flowers and how beautiful they are. And God provides. Like he's, he's actually telling people to, you know, the saying of stop and smell the roses is a cliche for a reason. Mm-hmm. He's saying slow down and pay attention to life as it unfolds here and now rather than being obsessively hooked and pulled into the past or the future. And then his final statement is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And in other words, all of those verbs, all of those imperatives are present tense. See, study, seek. Be here now where you can actually act, not tomorrow where the trouble is just existing there and then. And it's going to be anxious for itself. Mm-hmm. Let today's troubles be in front of you today and tomorrow's troubles be in front of you tomorrow. And in the meantime, see the way that God providentially cares for all things. Study it. Look deeply into it. And then right here now with the only time you have, the only life you have to live, seek first the kingdom of God. Like live into that reality. And so I actually think Jesus, the brilliant psychologist that he is, is heightening some of the things that now modern psychologists are using empirical research and randomized controlled trials to show, oh wow, living in the present moment and and allowing yourself to be here now is one of the most psychologically hygienic things you can do to combat or to at least deal with or cope with living with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Jesus was saying this 2,000 years ago in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. But in, in ways that I think we miss, and I think it's it's important the way you draw our attention even to what he's saying, Of we just hear it as almost cliche at this point. Like, That's oh, right. Yeah, just kind of look around, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, when, it's un, I don't know that it's, it's not necessarily unfortunate. I think it's probably what we talked about in the last bonus episode when we talked about common grace of some of the neuroscientific explanations actually make sense of what Jesus is saying in a way that forces us to reread it more closely. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe gives it, at least in our modern culture, it gives it a little more, um, what is the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say authority because mm-hmm. I don't want to say the Bible is not authoritative on its own, but it's mm-hmm. like, it kind of is like, oh, well, Jesus was already saying this. Now scientists come along and discover Oh, there's kind of a deep wisdom to what he was saying. Here's why. Here's what it does for your body. Here's what it does for your mental well, yeah. mental health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And now people are willing to pay more attention to it. That's right. Well, and one of my, um, you know, soapboxes you could say is I I long for people to read the New Testament, the whole Bible, as if you're reading the most brilliant and insightful psychologists who have ever lived. It's just one way to read the scriptures, right? You could mm-hmm. see, most of us are used to reading it as if these are the most brilliant, insightful theologians who've ever lived, and that is true. Um, yeah. But they're also brilliant, brilliant, uh, attentive uh, scientists and, and studiers of the human condition. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I really actually wish that people would take Jesus seriously as a psychologist and, and actually read him for his psychological insight and not just these cliche and trite sayings that, frankly, pastors who have a lot less psychological insight, just like 
kind of regurgitate as if they are these trite sayings and platitudes that you should mm. just don't be anxious. Jesus said so, right? And and they're and they're foolishly over like just kind of running roughshod over the complexity that the human soul really is. Yeah. And so taking Jesus seriously as a psychologist is actually really helpful because then he again you, you see these things corroborated by modern neuroscience and things like that. Yeah. And I don't want to even uh, bury the lead on what we were just saying in a minute ago to make it sound like oh, well, now the neuroscientists have figured it out so we can pay attention to what Jesus said. The The lead maybe there was that as neuroscience, psychology, some of these other fields do more study, they're not disconfirming things that are taught clearly in the New Testament. That's it's right. not as if there's, there's these clear teachings and then neuroscience comes along. It's like, well, actually doing that's really terrible for your mental health. You should not do that. Yeah, yeah. It's almost, and maybe listeners could think of it. You could maybe... Confirm what I'm saying here because I have a limited knowledge. I don't know that a listener could come up with something. It's like, well, actually, science says this as far as mental health and well-being. And if you follow what the Bible says, it's actually going to be bad for you. The only one I would maybe say that could go on there, but I think it's bad science, is repressing your sexuality. Okay. Not acting out on all of your sexual impulses. Jesus was the most fully alive human who ever existed and never had sex. And that is a heresy in our culture. Right, that's, yeah. And so I would just say that that's probably an example of that, where I would go to bat and say, hey, actually, I think insofar as you might find some sort of, you know, psychology research that says, you know, you have to live out your sexual urges in order for you to live a full and complete human life, I would say, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Yeah. And that's where the Bible might critique Christian or, or modern psychology. Yeah, in that so way. They're leaning into the antithesis, I yeah. guess we say. So it's not all common grace. It's not all antithesis. It's the balance. And listeners can listen to the, the last episode we released if That's they want right. a deeper dive on that. So, so one interpersonal neurobiologist that I learn a lot from and find to be profoundly helpful, I think actually maybe the most important uh, non-Christian f- speaking into spiritual formation and discipleship today is a guy named Dan Siegel. Mm-hmm. Um, he and, just had a new book come out, by the way. Did you see... Was this uh, his most recent one that I knew of? Was called Aware. Okay, but there's maybe another one. It came one out since in then. early October. It's not. It's less a book and more a workbook. Okay, it's like yep. a 21 day program for. And it's like half the book is a journal. Gotcha. Almost. I think that that's the journal or the workbook for the book Aware. Okay, and and in the book Aware, he talks a lot about. Uh, really what we're talking about today, which is presence. Mm. And he breaks it down into attention, awareness, intention. And so where your attention goes, you create awareness. And if you create awareness, it actually allows for intention. So let me unpack that a little bit. Um, let's just say you have, you're, you're buying a new car and you are set on a uh, silver Jeep Wrangler. I mean, this was this was me in April, so this yeah, okay. okay. So this is real. Set life. on buying a car to replace the one I totaled. Yeah. So and let's just say you wanted a silver Jeep Wrangler. Okay. Now you begin to see Jeep Wranglers all over the place. Mm-hmm. Many of them even silver. Yeah. And uh, and you're like, wow, these are actually a really common car. Now, are there more Jeep Wranglers on the road than there were prior to April? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Your attention is now honed to them. And so now you're becoming more aware of them. And so attention actually creates awareness. And, and one of the problems many of us have is the way that Carl Jung put it is, um, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will direct our lives and we'll call it fate. Mm-hmm. Another way to say that is until you take the things that are out of your awareness and bring them into your awareness, they will rule you and you'll act as if you can't help yourself. Yeah. And so attention is the way that you create awareness. The more you attend to something, the more aware of it you become. So one of the things we've been doing over the last four weeks is attending to our thoughts and feelings, which includes 
images and sensations and memories and bodily urges and all these things that we call private experiences um, that show up within. And the more we attend to them, the more aware we become of them. And the more awareness we have, it actually helps us to be more intentional about the ways in which we're going to live. So many of us do things unintentionally, and really what that is is we lacked awareness. Mm -hmm. And so a great example is if I'm working with somebody who's struggling with pornography addiction, I will invite them to bring attention to the situations, the environments, the scenarios, the mood states, the the conversations, the situ- all those things, the people that they're around before they act out. Because what I want them to do is I want them to heighten their awareness of uh, historically this acronym of HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm any f- one of those four things and I don't, I'm not aware of it, I might find myself seeking out pornography for satisfaction when really I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And if I caught that maybe an hour earlier... I would actually be able to remedy those things rather than going to my, uh, you know, this place of uh, finding, trying to find life, but really just drinking salt water instead. Mm -hmm. And so that's an example of bringing attention actually creates awareness, which allows intention. Now I can live more intentionally because I've got more awareness about what's going on. Yeah. So that seems really helpful because there's probably things that we should have on autopilot. Like I, we were just talking about cars. I think about driving. Like I don't need to think about every little move I make while driving. Mm-hmm. Some things need to be just sort of, I don't have to think about it as directly, but most of your life probably doesn't need to be like that. Yeah. And yet there's a lot of things that we just sort of, it's unintentionally on autopilot. So if we bring awareness to it, mm-hmm. we've got attention. Now we can re-intention it if we need to. That's right. Yeah. And um, James Clear in his book on habits, which is phenomenal, um, talks about this pointing method, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you want to bring attention to something, let's just say you, um, let's just say you pick up your phone at every red light, and it's just something you do, and and you you don't want to do that anymore. Um, basically, to bring attention to it is every time you do it, you stop, point at your phone, and say, "I just picked up my phone." Out loud, by yourself, in the car, you'll feel like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. But what you're doing is you're heightening your awareness of how often you do that because you're bringing attention to it, mm-hmm. and that's the beginning of being more intentional about not picking up your phone at every red light. And so it's just a silly kind of innocuous example, but let's just say it's overeating or more or too much caffeine or procrastination or um, Netflix binging or I mean, whatever those things might be. The list could go on. The list could go on. You can heighten your awareness of it, which allows for more intentionality around it when you bring your attention to it. And so all these things that we're talking about are present moment realities. Mm. In the present moment, I want to bring my attention from the future or from the past to the here and now, create awareness about what's going on, and then I can be more intentional. And we did a practice from Dan Siegel called the Wheel of Awareness, and Mm. I blend it with the Jesus Prayer, and I I find it to be really helpful to develop this. Um, And so uh, one of the things that that why this really matters is is that – interpersonal neurobiologists have shown, which are people who study the effect of relationships on the brain, they have shown that um, secure relationships, healthy relationships, have this acronym they would call PART. So it begins with presence, which is what we're talking about. Can you be here now and, and, and maintain presence regardless of what's going on? So if you're in a conversation with a friend, uh, a spouse, a um, you know, a neighbor, uh, a child, like, can you be present to them? Or are you thinking about what is going on in the future? You know, your to-do list, or are you thinking about the conversation you had that you regret? Or are you like, can you be present to them? 
And if you can be present to them, the next one, P-A-R-T, the next one is A, which is can you attune with them? Mm. Can your can you be uh, attentive enough to their inner state to know, to have a sense of what's going on for them? And then the more attentive you are to their inner state, you're attuned to them, you begin to R, resonate with them. You begin to actually not take on their inner state, but at least feel somewhat of what they're feeling. So if you're with somebody who's super sad, like, can you, as Paul would put it, weep with those who weep? Can you can your inner state resonate with their inner state? Not if you're not present, mm-hmm. not if you're not attending, not if you can't be attuned, not if you uh, that resonance can come. And then if you can be present, attuned, and resonant with somebody, the T is trust. Trust is the outflow of that. Um, you begin to trust somebody who gives you presence, attunes well to you, and resonates with your internal state. You begin to develop trust with them because they're there for you. They've shown up for you in the in the realest sense. Mm. And so this really matters not just for your own intrapersonal relationship with yourself and your own thoughts and feelings, but with your interpersonal yeah. relationships with other people and the ways in which you relate to them. Yeah, that's a great rubric to think through. Just to, I think we would intuitively pick up on parts of those, but maybe not all four of P-A-R-T. Yeah. Uh, and just the way that they each flow into one another seems yeah. really significant. Yeah, I find it to be super helpful as well. So Viktor Frankl uh, was a Swiss psychiatrist who survived Auschwitz. He, he survived the Holocaust. And he was a psychiatrist before the Holocaust. And so he paid very close attention to human beings uh, and took copious notes and wrote a phenomenal book called Man's Search for Meaning mm. uh, on the back end once he survived. And in there, there's this incredible quote, one of my favorite um, quotes, I think just period. I think about this all the time. And he said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So let me just unpack that. Between stimulus and response, in other words, that is impulse and action. Mm-hmm. Uh, or between um, somebody walks in the room and says, hey, Ben. And I immediately respond and go, what? What do you want? Or I have uh, enough of a space there to where I can respond intentionally, right? Mm-hmm. And the only way I can respond intentionally, the way to, to widen that space, to get more gap there between my st- the stimulus and the response is, attention and awareness that creates intention. And so why this space matters is it's our power to choose. It's where our will actually exists between stimulus and response, between uh, external circumstances or people or situations that I'm in. And then if that space is really tight and I don't actually have much agency or will over my response, we call that living reactively. Mm. And people who live reactively is the opposite of living the active and contemplative life that, that this ACT training is intended to help. And so as we widen that space by paying attention to the thoughts and feelings and sensations and urges and desires, things that show up for us in the present moment, as we widen that space, we actually can create awareness of what's going on for us. Wow, when they walked in and shouted at me, it startled me or it made me feel like they were yelling at me. I was in trouble or, huh, I realize I'm, I'm, I get this urge of this shot of adrenaline in the moment or I'm angry right now. And, oh, that all this attending to my inner state Mm. creates awareness that allows me to intentionally reply and be like, hey, what would you like? Or, hey, how can I help? Rather than, what do you want? Right? Like, yeah. And so that's just an example of how this, this attention, awareness, intention, actually being present to what's going on here and now, rather than there and then, whichever that past or future can actually help me respond and live flexibly in the moment. Yeah. That's really good. I, I, I think that's a good 
probably spot to end on with just tying everything together there of the focus of this past week being on presence, what that entails, how we can raise our awareness of our thoughts and feelings, and then also what we can do about it. So, yeah, the last thing, the only thing I would add is there's a practice called the prayer of examine that we ended with, which is the whole purpose of all of this in following Jesus is being present to God's presence in the here and now. Um, God is always present, but he's not always apparent. And I mm. think that's because we don't slow down and pay attention. We don't actually, uh, what what ancient Christian authors would call, we don't discern God's presence in the here and now because we're so caught up in the there and then. And so slowing down, being still, being silent, practicing solitude, these are ancient Christian practices that help us to become, to heighten our awareness of God's presence with us in the here and now so we can live more intentionally as disciples of Jesus. Yeah, that's really good. And if, if people want to see what the prayer of examine might look like, is there a resource we can throw in the show notes or is it, it's, it's on our website, isn't it? Absolutely. And we can put the script in the show notes too. Okay. Sounds good, Ben. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what we talk about next week and then especially that deep dive that we mentioned, which we'll do in a, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Nate. Thank you.